to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. Here in the studio this evening with my co-host, Fran Gavin, I'm Tim Fredericks, and continuing along with our shows that have been curated by our doctoral students, it's my pleasure to introduce our two doctoral students this evening, Jennifer Cassini and Carrie Waybell. And they have some very special guests uh, with them in the studio tonight and a very, very timely topic. To talk about. So without further ado, I'm going to uh, turn the mic over to Carrie and she will uh, introduce our guests. Thank you so much. So over the last several years, New Jersey and nationwide, we've seen a push in education to support a more equitable learning environment for all students. New Jersey's been at the forefront of equity education. Um, and in 2019, Governor Murphy signed legislation which mandates all instruction on political, economic, and social contributions of persons with disabilities and the LGBTQ community for grades 6 to 12. This year, the state went further and enacted a law which requires schools to incorporate instruction on diversity and inclusion in an appropriate place in the curriculum of all students in grades K through 12. This push towards equity takes place at a time where increasing public and political backlash with respect to the issues of race and social justice is seen and heard across the nation. Today, we're fortunate to be joined by outstanding educators who are working in different capacities to lead their school and states toward equity in education. This podcast is going to explore the efforts of these leaders across the state to support a more equitable learning environment for New Jersey students. And we are joined by Victoria Duff, the coordinator of professional learning at New Jersey Principals and Supervisors Association. She also serves as the chair of the Learning Forward Foundation that provides grants and scholarships to educators internationally to enhance systems of professional learning. She's had a 40-year career in education at a variety of levels. Uh, we are also joined by George Guy, Jr., who is entering his 19th year in education and currently serves as the principal of the Rosa International Middle School in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. George has worked extensively on cultural proficiency in his own district. Mr. Guy presents on a variety of topics, including cultural proficiency, ESL and ELL issues, achievement gaps, educational equity and access, as well as response to intervention and refer intervention and referral systems and special education disproportionality. And last but definitely not least, Cicely Warren, who has served Patterson Public Schools as a middle school mathematics teacher, vice principal, and principal. And Ms. Warren is currently the assistant superintendent of school operations and is known for her ability to bring diverse perspectives to the decision-making table, as well as promoting student-centered, equity-focused practices at all levels of district operations. Uh, and so with that, um, we are going to ask if you, we could just start with the first question, and we're asking this to all three of our guests. So we all know that equity is one of the leading topics in education right now. Um, can you talk briefly about why it is so important? Um, and we can start um, with Ms. Duff. Well, good afternoon, and I am delighted to be here. You know, I think if we look at equity from the framework of children, our children are our most precious resource, our best asset. And as educators, we actually believe that passionately. It's about, for us, it's about honoring the purpose of education to ensure that every child has access and opportunity to learning, to being successful. New Jersey Principals and Supervisors Association, we are using a, a common definition, um, which is throughout a, a number of our uh, sessions. And that is that each child receives what they need, regardless of who they are, where they come from, who their parents are, what they know or don't know, or their temperament, to develop their full academic and social potential. We need to eliminate inequitable practices. We need to cultivate the uniqueness of talents, the gifts and interests of each child so that success and failure are no longer predicated by their student identity. So I see that as very different than that question of equality. Equity being everyone gets what they need. So if they need a pair of shoes, they get a pair of shoes that fit. Thank you so much. And if 
Mr. Um, Mr. Guy, if, if you could um, share your thoughts on, on the same question. Thank you. I think Vicki did a great job in talking about equity. I think what I want to move us from is this whole notion that us as a progressive state are aspiring toward equity in all 21 of our counties and 815 plus of our districts. But that aspiration in and of itself is not enough. We have to begin to put equity in action as it relates to some of the more intractable things. And intractable just means those things that we have a very difficult time moving in public pre-K to 12 spaces. So when we talk about equity in action, we are talking about equity in action as it relates to race and ethnicity. We're talking about equity in action as it relates to poverty, um, low socioeconomic status, or to boil it down even more, students who are on free and reduced lunch. We talk about equity in action as it relates to special populations, students with individual education plans, students with Section 504 plans, students who are receiving response to intervention or intervention and referral services, and then our language diverse students who fall within English language learners or English as a second language learners. If we take Vicky's uh, understanding about the shoe analogy and a shoe that fits, what are the shoes that fit when you are a racial, uh, when, when you are, I, I, I hate that word racial minority, but demographically when you are in a space and uh, pejoratively, you've been underserved from a racial group or you've been historically underserved from a um, group that deals with poverty. You've been underserved from special populations, whether that's IEP to 504 to INRS, et cetera, or you've been historically underserved because of the giftedness and the capacity that you have when you are a language diverse student who may be bilingual, trilingual, or multilingual. So I think we need to move away. We all aspire toward equity and these equitable opportunities and access, but we've got to look at those four areas within our pre-K to 12 systems and start moving into action and how we get to equitable outcomes moving from aspirations to action. So that's what I would say about equity. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, and uh, Ms. Warren, if you could uh, sh share your thoughts on, as well. Uh, yes, thank you, Jennifer. Uh, thank you for having me here along with this esteemed panel of guests um, who actually, you know, their, their commentary actually connects um, with my sentiments regarding equity. Yes, it's a, a leading topic right now, but it's not a new topic. It's not a new concern. Um, this conversation that we're having now actually affords us the opportunity to live up to what we say education is about, um, to live up to common statements such as every child can learn and say that without qualification. Um, so if every child can learn and every child has the potential you know, to, to learn at high levels, then what are we doing to ensure that every single stu student has that opportunity? Um, so it's, it's an opportunity when we're having this conversation for us to examine our practices and see if we are doing what we say we're doing and to see if we actually mean what we say in terms of how we operate as school systems. So um, I'm pleased that we're having the conversations now and they're more explicit, whereas they were happening under the surface in previous years. Um, and, and I understand that they're challenging, but I think the outcome, um, which hopefully, you know, will be more equitable and responsive environments for our students is well worth the challenge and the struggle that these conversations can sometimes be. Ms. Warren, you just talked about how this is not new. So, and, and we all agree with you. So I guess my question is, what is, what are these barriers that are hindering us from moving forward? since this conversation is continuing to happen, but we're still not you know, making that momentum. What are those barriers? And, and we'll start off with Ms. Warren. I think one of the barriers um, George actually mentioned earlier, equity is not solely about race. Equity is, is about, about providing all students with access to opportunities and providing everyone what they need. And sometimes when we talk about equity, people immediately default to race. Um, and sometimes 
that causes some to become defensive when really we're talking about serving all of our students well, which is why educators get into this business to begin with. So I think sometimes um, misconceptions or a lack of clarity around what equity really means is a barrier. In previous years in my district, we addressed equity in terms of what does the data show us and are there patterns in terms of our data? Are there, are, are there inconsistencies between schools that are predictable? And we've addressed it that way because people were not always ready to have conversations that were more explicit. Um, so we got the work done by looking at data and reforming practices based on what the data told us. But it, it told us, as, it showed us as a district that we needed to have different conversations and equip people with the tools that they needed in order to have explicit conversations about um, implicit bias, um, discrimination, barriers that were predicated on race, um, whether it was conscious or unconscious. So sometimes, the readiness of an organization may not meet the moment, but it's the organization's obligation to get folks ready so that they can do the work that needs to be done. I like that last phrase that you said. Um, uh, Mr. Guy, can you talk a little bit more about barriers? Yeah, thanks. And uh, just great conversation from our colleagues. When we talk about barriers, I think the most prolific one now that is facing um, districts in all 21 of our counties is the misinformation around the sociopolitical understanding of equity and critical race theory, which is a higher education construct, is being lumped in with anything that deals with equity whether it is access, whether it is the Amistad Commission and its work here, whether it is LGBTQ curriculum, all of that is being lumped into critical race theory and it's derailing districts, predominantly more affluent suburban districts who have communities who are hearing this rhetoric and falling prey to this misinformation. So I would say that there are a number of barriers, but from a socio-political standpoint, and we've been highly politicized, I would say, since um, pre-pandemics, uh, before we got into these pieces, we've been highly politicized around equity. But now it's coming to a head, and that is one of the most concrete barriers that when we work with schools, school districts, and school boards, that they are asking for how do we combat this? What is it that we do so that this doesn't derail the equity work that we are doing? There are also other barriers. I think time constraints and how we use time, how we leverage resources and human capacity, our ability to understand the difference between technical fixes and adaptive fixes within very large pre-K to 12 systems. Uh, and a technical fix is really me as an administrator saying, to my teachers, this is what you're going to do so that we can be more equitable, but not really addressing uh, concerns um, that were mentioned by Ms. Warren with regards to uh, implicit bias and mindset and microaggressions. Those would be more adaptive changes going along with the technical changes so that we could have more uh, equitable outcomes. But right now, I would say sociopolitically, critical race theories, misinformation is being pushed into our diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives in all 21 of our counties at a rapid rate, and that is derailing some of the effective work that school districts and school boards are undertaking, or it is preventing school districts and school boards from uh, even entering in that work or deepening that work. So those are my thoughts around some of those barriers. Thank you very much. Um, and Ms. Duff, can you talk a little bit about the barriers that you're seeing? Absolutely. Um, and I would just draw back on Ms. Warren's and Ms., uh, Mr. Guy's thoughts as well, because that weaponization of critical race theory um, has been a, a major issue. That lack of common um, language and the understanding of that common language, which leads us to what are we doing about professional learning? The sustained kinds of professional learning that will support people in um, 
building a deeper understanding and building capacity to move from aspiration to action is sorely lacking. Um, and that goes to the time issue that we talked about as well. Um, I think the another barrier that I see happening is this high level of frustration people are feeling as a result of the pandemic within the community. And that result oftentimes in misplaced anger and venting that we're dealing with in the schools that takes away time we need to be building this system, to be creating um, the actions that we need to be taking. And one of the things that you know I have seen often happening is this siloing of equity. We now have a committee, they're gonna take care of it. Or we now have someone who is heading up our DEI office and they're going to take care of it. So putting that on the shoulders of one person when it's the entire system that we need to work with. Um, we need to build on the assets of the students and not the deficits. Uh, so those are some of the things that we definitely see happening um, in our conversations at uh, NJPSA with all of our colleagues. Thank you so much. So what is your vision? If you were to think about that utopia school that we as educators all like to live in, what does that look like for an equitable school or district? And I think that question will be for after the break. Yes. Yes, like uh, that, that, this is probably a very good time for us to uh, pause. You've been listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. We will consider uh, continue this conversation when we return right after this. Welcome back to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. We're here in the WNTI studios with our two doctoral students, Jennifer Cassini and Carrie Webo. And I am going to toss it right over to Jen to continue the conversation. All right. So as we were talking about, and as three of you all mentioned, um, one of the major barriers facing equity education has been um, this rise in public objection um, and misinformation. Um, which creates a barrier to equity initiatives. And so the question is really, what are some things that educational leaders can do to increase support and combat those barriers? Uh, and so if we can start that um, with Mr. Guy this time. Thanks, Jennifer. So I know in my school district, we've taken it head on. We've put on our district website, and I'm at Cherry Hill Public Schools, as early as um, the beginning of August, the difference between critical race theory and cultural proficiency, which is one of the modalities in which we are working to try and bring more equitable outcomes to our pre-K to 12 students. I think that if you are using opportunities for the public to engage one another, but in safe spaces, so things like Thought Exchange, www.thoughtexchange.org, which or .com, which is a great um, tool at cost for school districts to be able to use to engage their communities on platforms um, around diverse uh, topics uh, and have people interact with one another virtually so that they are that, so that they feel safe. What we have seen is this rise in um, this lack of civility. Um, as it relates to uh, civic engagement. And it is ironic that the NJDOE is coming out with um, civics work next year that we will add to our social studies curriculum. But this, this whole notion around um, being uh, less than civil to have disagreements, you know, uh, we are our, our central, our building, and our school boards need to begin to engage in public dialogue, but they need to do it in a way that is safe. So by uh, presenting more information to combat misinformation, so that can be weekly communications from the superintendent, uh, that can be opportunities for asynchronous approaches uh, to information on your website, um, like screencast and other pieces that deal with what you are actually doing in the classroom. 
For example, I know I do a lot at the building level with Instagram because I fear that my community doesn't believe it unless it is on Instagram. So if there are things that are happening that are equitable and are part of our equity-based initiatives, I am taking pictures, I am uploading those to Instagram, I am using uh, information and dialogue around those pieces. And then when I get pushback, which I do, not if, but when, uh, I combat that with with more truth to be able to overcome that uh, misinformation. The other piece that I think is important is you've got to be able to build capacity in-house. You've got to be able to deal with key communicators and people that believe in this work so that they are pushing forth more of the true information so that it combats the misinformation. Here in Cherry Hill Public Schools, we have a cultural proficiency, equity, and character education committee, which has community members, family, uh, parents. Um, it has students on it. It has district employees. Um, it has board representation. And all of those people meet once a month and are armed with ways to go out into their local contexts where they are to be able to fight that misinformation as it relates to equity initiatives being done here in Cherry Hill Public Schools. So I think when you're talking about this work and you're talking about engaging the community, you have to be able to engage on many different fronts and you have to be a very specific and targeted with the communication that you're gonna have to combat misinformation. All right, thank you so much. Um, Ms. Warren, if, if you could uh, share your thoughts on that as well. Uh, sure. Um, I, I want to preface my comments just by saying that we've been fortunate um, in Patterson Public Schools that we haven't encountered um, the type of resistance that you've seen in the media um, and elsewhere. Um, but along the lines of what Mr. Guy was saying, um, transparency also helps and, and inviting people in to participate helps. Um, for example, when we had an opportunity for district leadership um, school administrators, teachers to participate in professional learning with courageous conversations. We also invited um, members of our family and community engagement department and members of our PTO participated in that two day training as well. So the more you invite people in so that we're learning together um, and that we're increasing our capacity together and everyone is on the same page in terms of our intentions, um, I think that helps minimize some of that resistance. And the same goes for our committee work, you know, where we have subcommittees examining all aspects of district operations and practices, including school culture, including how we respond to crises in the community. Um, inviting as many people in as possible to participate helps as well. So we haven't encountered the resistance um, that we commonly hear of. If anything, um, our community is asking for more and, and higher levels of engagement um, because they want to see the impact of the work and they want to see what we're doing. Um, and sometimes that means, you know, slowing down a little bit as we increase capacity um, and make sure that everyone has the tools they need to do the work. Um, but, but generally we've we found a lot of support. All right, and that's great to hear. Um, and then if we could just hear from Ms. Duff what your thoughts are on, on that. Absolutely, um, you know, there's a common theme running through all of this. And that common theme is really about building partnerships um, with the community, with the families, um, with staff, and empowering people's voices. Um, I think uh, when we talk about some of the strategies that we like to share, or when we get into dialogue in our breakout rooms through professional learning, we're constantly hearing that we need to hear, listen, and value what others are saying. Come to consensus, and that's not always easy. There's conflict. That idea of courageous conversations, Glenn Singleton, uh, I think of how difficult some of those conversations are, but with protocols in place, how they open the door to, to actually empowering those voices to be heard. I think that clear communication, I kept hearing that from both Mr. Guy and Ms. Warren, and that clear communication, not making assumptions that they already know 
what we were about to share with them, but making sure that we articulate well whatever it is we are trying to get across. What is equity? And I love the idea that right on the website, there is a clear definition of what critical race theory is and that it's not conflated with culturally responsive teaching. I think that we also need to be sharing the vision and coming back with all of our stakeholders and saying, where are we missing the mark? Where are we finding success? Celebrating those successes, coming together. And I heard that both from Ms. Warren and uh, Mr. Guy. So again, I think there is that it's professional learning or learning with our partners. It's that common theme of communication and that building of partnerships. Thank you so much. I'm hearing a lot of open communication. Uh, so we've talked about the importance of equity. We wanted to find out what is your vision for an equitable school? What does that look like and sound like and feel like? Ms. Duff, if you don't mind, could you start us off? Oh, I would love to. You know, that's the hopes and dreams, right? Because my vision is probably predicated on equity being modeled first by the adults. And going back to that requires a lot of professional learning and community learning. And that decisions about student learning are made with the student at the center of the conversation, not on the outside, because all of our student learning is based on individual needs. Each child brings their own gifts, their own talents. I think that funding needs to be a part of that vision and dream, and that we're sure that the funding is going to the places where it's needed uh, the most. Um, that our assumptions are constantly being challenged, that we're open to having conversations every day. When I think about schools that are most successful, those are the schools where conversations are open and that everyone is being listened to and that we don't, it's a judgment-free zone. Our thoughts are part of the journey to the solution. I think the most important thing is that we are creating a self uh, safe and welcoming and inclusive environment for everyone. And I know that our other two esteemed guests have some ideas as well. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Warren, could you talk about what that looks like in, in your vision? Certainly. Um, I guess I'll piggyback off of what Ms. Duff was saying. Uh, for me, the vision would be for equity to go from being a topic, a task, you know, something that a committee does to just being how we operate, the way we do business. Um, equity should be as natural as, as us walking and breathing, meaning that anytime a decision is made, equity is at the center of it. Um, there are explicit conversations about how that decision, that policy, that practice affects every single stakeholder in the organization. And of course, students should be at the center of that. Students should be a part of the conversation on a consistent basis. I would say that we are getting better at doing that here in Patterson, but there's still room to grow. Um, so, you know, just, just keeping students at the center and ensuring that everyone has exactly what they need and equity is, is not, it's, it's a non-event. It's just the way we do things. That's great. Thank you. And Mr. Guy, what about you? What is your vision for an equitable school? Yeah, thanks. Um, I just want to, because um, Ms. Duff and Ms. Warren went a little bit more global and I'm at a building, I just want to get deeper in the weeds, maybe in uh, pre-K to 12. And I want to go back to some of those intractable pieces um, that I talked about earlier, race, special populations, language diversity, and poverty. So in my mind, what equity would look like within a school um, or a, a system of school pre-K to 12, I'm just gonna take two areas. We have a gifted and talented education mandate here in the state of New Jersey, and, and we love it. Um, but if kids who are from historically underserved races, specifically African-American and Latinx students, language diverse students and students with IEP and students that are on free and reduced lunch could have equal access and opportunities 
to not only get into our gifted and talented education programs and through multiple measures, but to when they are there to be able to flourish within those. That would be one way in which I would see equity being enacted. With those same four areas, I would love for us as we look at uh, grades 6 to 12 and mathematics, and there's some research out there that says the highest level of uh, mathematics attained in pre-K to 12 education is one strong indices of how well you'll do in college and career. So what I would love to see is no matter what a student's racial background or ethnic background, no matter what a student's special population status may be, IEP 504, INRS, RTI, no matter what their language diversity may be, ESL, ELL, or no matter what their socioeconomic status may be, and I'm talking about low socioeconomic status kids, I would love for every child to have at least the opportunity to be exposed to algebra, should they choose and should their families choose in grade eight. And I would love, conversely, four years later, the same opportunity to be exposed to calculus, because the research out there is saying those two indices at the middle level and the high school level are a very strong indicator of whether a child is going to do well in a career or whether or not they are going to do well in post-secondary education, whatever that looks like. So mine is a little bit more in the weeds, more, much more from a, a practitioner standpoint and how those equitable opportunities. Thank you so much. Um, and so um, as we've heard all of that, um, it brings us to this question, right? So it's one of the largest and most diverse school districts in the state. Um, Ms. Warren, if you could share what some of the things are that Patterson is doing to lead the district towards a more edu equitable educational environment for all. Uh, sure, there are, there are a number of things that we're doing um, from the district level, the school level, um, academic services, um, and so on, that sort of preceded the more current conversations about equity. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we kind of began more with what Mr. Guy referred to as the technical aspects in terms of um, looking at our grading policies, looking at our failure rates, looking at our promotion policy, and making them less subjective, um, making them based on multiple measures, um, monitoring that from um, a school level and a district level um, so that we can ensure that those practices are being implemented across the district in an equitable manner. Um, and those revisions were based on looking at historical data and identifying patterns where students were being retained repeatedly or having to go to summer school repeatedly. Um, and then creating a true profile of what proficiency looks like um, and how we support students, all students, to proficiency. So we started with those types of practices um, about six or seven years ago. Um, we continued that work in looking at our GNT program, um, which is, at a, is housed at a particular school, um, and examining our admissions process there and ensuring that it's more equitable in terms of giving access to parents um, during the daytime and in the evening so it accommodates their work schedule, um, making sure that all parents in the community are presented with the information about application, um, recruiting across the district um, so that as many students have access to the program as possible. The work that we're engaged in now because um, the pandemic certainly highlighted some challenges that were below the surface previously is that there are some, some things that, some practices in a district that were really not parent-centered. For example, um, when we have back-to-school night and, and report card conferences um, and town hall meetings for our parents, if we can get 700 parents to attend a meeting online um, as opposed to maybe 50 attending in person, well, maybe it serves the community to have those types of meetings online and schedule alternate opportunities for them to have those meetings in person. Um, just providing a wider variety of ways to engage with the community that are more responsive to the community's needs. And I think a lot of that was surfaced during remote instruction when we had no choice um, but to close the digital divide and to meet virtually. Um, when we looked at the response, um, when we moved to that model, we saw that there were some things that were worth keeping. Um, and in addition to that, um, in addition to the 
professional learning and, and the committee work that I talked about earlier, um, we realize that we can't just do that work with the adults, but we need to do that with students as well. Um, so we're currently involved in youth equity stewardship. Um, right now we have five pilot schools that are engaged in that. Um, and the purpose of that program is to have students engaging across generations and across communities in the city um, using the arts to address um, what an equitable school environment looks like from the student's perspective. All right, and I think that is a perfect transition. So we're gonna take a break. Um, and then when we come back, um, we can continue to hear from Ms. Warren um, on the great things that Patterson is doing to address inequity and move us towards an equitable education. And you've been listening to uh, Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. Here in the studio with our two doctoral students curating our program. And I'm going to toss it right back over to uh, Jen Cassini to continue the conversation. Right before the break, we were hearing from Ms. Warren as she talked about um, equity initiatives in Patterson. And um, we just want to throw this back to her um, to continue um, that conversation. Uh, yeah, so we were talking about youth equity stewardship, which kind of goes back to Ms. Um, Duff's point about keeping things uh, student-centered. So youth equity stewardship is an opportunity for students to um, engage with multiple generations, multiple communities in, in Patterson, um, centering the arts, um, so that the students can kind of shape a vision for what an equitable school environment looks like for them. Um, and they will share that with faculty and administration. There are currently five schools participating in, in that program this year, and we hope to expand it to more schools next year. Well, it certainly sounds like Patterson's doing some great work in, in this area, so thank you so much. Ms. Steph and Mr. Guy, you have been working on a, on a new project um, in, in your work, the Equity in Action Leadership Academy. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that work is and who you're supporting in that work? Um, Ms. Duff, maybe start us off, and Mr. Guy after that? Absolutely. Well, the work is really centered on leaders and supporting leaders. And, you know, this was quite literally a middle-of-the-night aha. Uh, the Equity Academy is actually an outgrowth and part of our Leadership Academy. So that is a three-session sustained learning experience with each topic focused on an aspect of instructional leadership um, that's developed and presented by three teams of six current practitioners. One of the, the great things about that academy is that George Guy is always there helping each of those teams to focus on equity. And Mr. Guy actually alluded to this before. What we were finding is that that was the conversations were merely aspirational. Uh, we weren't getting part, uh, practitioners to actually move to action. And partly, I think that was because it was the pandemic year, people were overwhelmed, and they didn't know where to start the conversation. So the 2021, um, the 2022-21-22 conversation around the Equity uh, Academy uh, began with uh, thinking about how do we get to action. So we began this process of developing this Equity Academy, Dare to be Bold, from equity aspirations to equity and operation. And again, modeling it right after the um, regular academy, we asked three practitioners who have expertise in equity to, to join with us and to help us create four sessions uh, where there was a vision to create a common language. We wanted to help leaders uh, build a toolbox to implement change. We wanted them to understand how to move from data to the dialogue and look at different types of data and dialogue, uh, data. And we wanted to really get them focused on creating a problem of practice. And Mr. Guy, I would love for you to take it from that point. Thank you, Ms. Duff, and um, just a great overview four sessions, three hours each. Uh, we capped um, our practitioner 
um, teams, and they could have been building-based teams or central office teams and singletons. Um, and we even have people that are from out of state um, at 60 so that uh, our three practitioners could be able to engage in some small group dialogue around looking at four areas, which I talked about a little bit briefly earlier, race, special populations, poverty, and uh, language diversity as these intractable areas around equity. We know there are a lot of other areas of equity that we could talk about, but because we felt that these were intractable, hard to move within pre-K to 12 systems, we wanted to bring those pieces to light. So um, our colleague Heather Moran and our colleague George Jackson, along with myself, have put together these four three-hour sessions. Our first session really just deals with equity, and it gives an overview, and it begins to talk about data and the importance of data. And then our second session really deals with um, different types of data and having um, our um, teams and our singletons look at their what we call street data, which is a form of data that we are unaccustomed to looking at because it is much more qualitative and it isn't in our school report cards, but it can give us insights into those four intractable areas that we're working on. And then that third session um, really dealt with um, organizational understandings around um, coherence and coherence theory with Michael Fullen and our equity focus. And we really, in our second and third sessions, brought out problems of practice. We did root cause analyses. We had our teams and our singletons uh, think about their uh, contexts and who were they going to put on their guided teams. And then our fourth session will be around um, organizational leadership um, as it relates to the PDSA model, which is a business model around organizational change, um, plan, do, study, and act is PDSA with a theory of action. So they'll use their problems of practice um, along with their root cause analyses and information that they've gotten from their guided teams to come up with a theory of action. And then we give them a plan, do, study, act worksheet that they plug their problem of practice in, and it takes them through actually moving from that problem of practice to some change that they are going to test in a very small way. And we are very focused because Dr. Elizabeth City Harvard Graduate School of Education says a change can't become a solution to a problem unless it is very small and can get some traction. So we really work on um, specific, measurable, attainable, results-oriented, time-bound, and inclusive um, and equitable goals. They're called SMARTY goals. Many of us in business and in education have heard of SMART goals, but we add an I and an E to deal with inclusion and equitable practices uh, to make them SMARTY goals. And that fourth session is when we will spend a great deal of time with those uh, teams from different districts from all 21 of our counties and singletons. And then they will be armed with the tools that they need to go back, put their problem of practice into that PDSA model, test that change, and then make see whether or not they're going to adapt that change, whether or not they are going to um, adopt that change or whether or not they're going to abandon that change. And they have to understand that that could be something that they could see as well, that, hey, this, this, this did not work across the system, and maybe we want to abandon it and look at some other things. So that's why the plan, do, study, act model is so important. And that's why we think the equity and action um, model is great and the state has resounded and been excited about it. We're in, we're already booked out until April with a first, a second, and a third cohort. You know, we're opening ourselves up to school districts, larger school districts like Patterson, shameless plug there, Ms. Warren, uh, to be able to bring their uh, teams to be able to get this type of uh, learning as Ms. Duff said, this professional learning, uh, 12 hours worth, and then put it back into practice within their contexts across the system in very small ways. All right, thank you so much um, for, for that. And 
that's some really great stuff that, that's happening. Um, and so we, we had, you know, as discussed earlier, the, the New Jersey state legislature recently passed the two laws regarding equity, one with respect to the inclusion of LGBTQ and disability history uh, in middle school and high school curriculum. And then most recently, the diversity law, which mandates diversity and inclusion instruction. And we were wondering if you could briefly share how you see these laws supporting equity and benefiting students um, in, in specific ways. Um, and if we could just start with Ms. Duff. Sure. Uh, you know, I think yes would be my first answer. Um, do you see these laws supporting equity? But there's a big but there. It's yes, if this doesn't become one more box to check off. It becomes a thoughtful, intentional process that moves everybody to action and if everybody takes part in those actions. If we co-collaborate to create um, an efficacious system, then I really believe these laws will help us move the needle um, to getting to where Patterson is right now, to moving all districts where Cherry Hill is right now, to having these deep conversations that have taken a number of years to get to. So I would also say, yes, it's going to happen and they're going to be, so they will support equity if we work as partners. And I go back to what I said earlier, if we hear, listen, and value each other and our differing opinions, and we talk through those differing opinions coming to consensus. The law sets a framework. How we implement that framework matters. Knowing that law is truly essential because there are no opt-outs. So I would love to hear what Mr. Guy and Ms. Warren had to say. Absolutely. So Ms. Warren, if you could uh, share your thoughts on that. Uh, yes. So I, I would agree, Ms. Duff, the law provides a framework, but I think in addition to the law, there has to be communication with parents, with our faculty, um, with students about why the law is there. Um, and how they should see it in action in the classroom. Um, because if they don't see it, then, you know, it, it just becomes a compliance piece. It's in our curriculum. We can check it off that we've done it and it's there. Um, but we need that communication effort and, and honestly, that monitoring effort to ensure that it's actually being practiced on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so there's a, there are a lot of steps that have to follow the legislation um, and, and sometimes you know, organizational practices aren't in alignment um, or sometimes they need to catch up with the legislation. So um, it's, it's not as simple as, as passing the law. Um, there's really a, a great effort that needs to happen on the district level um, and in turn on the school level to ensure that that legislation actually means something for our students and, and enhances their education and their lives ultimately. Thank you for that. Um, Mr. Guy, if you wanted to just uh, weigh in on that as well. Yeah, I think uh, both Ms. Duff and Ms. Warren have, have covered a lot. I am just going to take another angle and say that there is value in this law for the school board itself. Uh, this law is one in which, listen, we, we all have comprehensive equity plans that we have to turn in every three years uh, from a district perspective. So that goes to the framework and the counting off and the organizational practices. But communities don't know about this. Because the legislature has come out, especially at the middle and the high school, we'll have to talk on another broadcast about, you know, pre-K to five. Um, this can help a school board um, who is having conversations with their superintendent about um, talking about this diversity, equity, and inclusion work and using um, low-hanging fruit of curriculum, you know, what it is that we learn. And maybe they're getting pushback from their community um, with things that I talked about earlier around critical race theory, and they can push right back and say that the legislature supports this. So we are gonna mandate and we are gonna direct that our superintendent work with their assistant superintendent of curriculum instruction to begin to diversify 
what our middle and high school level students look so they not only have window experiences, but they also have mirror experiences, depending upon where they are in 21 counties. So I'm looking at it from a totally different framework. I'm looking at it and I'm saying, school board member, if you're listening to this, superintendent, if you're listening to this, this can be the anchor that you need to be able to give you the support. Ms. Warren talked about the pace of change. You can't let, and Dr. Martin Luther King said why we can't wait. We can't wait any longer for the pace of change as it relates to equity, diversity, and inclusion. And the legislature, at least from grades 6 to 12, gives you the support that you need from a curriculum and instruction standpoint to begin this work. Even if you're taking tenuous steps, you still are obligated to fulfill your portion of the law, and the law has your back this time, uh, proverbially, to be able to support that. Thank you so much. I guess what I'd like to ask next is if you could have give leaders advice in this work and only could say one sentence, what would that advice be to the leaders in New Jersey? Um, let's start with uh, Ms. Warren. Just one sentence. One sentence. <laughs> Meaningful, real big sentence. Oh, my goodness. I, I guess I would say, um, you know, to, to persist, um, you know, even when it's uncomfortable and challenging, um, to remain steadfast. Our students are worth it. That's great. Ms. Ms. Duff, what about you? Oh, boy, this is, is really hard. Um, I would say embrace the community, empower the voice, and value the talents and gifts that are brought to us. Thank you. And Mr. Guy? Yeah. How would, how would you make everyone within your community feel known and supported in meaningful ways 180 days of our school year and beyond? That's fantastic and not easy to sum up in a single sentence. Um, and with that, we just wanted to thank you um, for joining us and having this critically important conversation about leading our schools towards equity so that we can provide the best education possible for all of our children um, because they all deserve it. Um, and we also really appreciate how you're striving every day and persisting in, in, in the work of creating equitable educations um, in your districts and, and with the leaders that you work with. Um, and so we thank you. Um, for all of that. And now it's my turn to thank you, uh, Jen and Carrie, for putting together a wonderful program on a very timely subject. And thanks to all of our guests. You've been listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. Mm -hmm.